everybody is an individual in so much that it's like you're making a soup and half the soup's already done. Um, and the ingredients are all the same. We know we're making an instrument soup and you can but you don't know exactly what's already in the soup. And you gotta taste it and say, okay, that needs more tomato base, or that needs more onions, or that needs more fit, or that. And so the basic ingredients for running successful are the same. And good workouts are good workouts. They serve a good purpose. But what is the right workout for me today might be the wrong workout for you today because we're coming at it from different places. We're at different points in our development. Um, and also because we absorb different types of work more readily or um, more medicinally. So the individual part of things is that each of us handles training and absorbs training in our own way. The systems, the, the coaches who have great success are because they've hit upon the type of work that everybody needs. It's, this is the good stuff. These are the key training paces, the key efforts to making those gains. But how you incorporate them has to take into account what are your strengths, what are your weaknesses, as well as what are your life and training limitations. Um, and so what is right for you right now? I'm not gonna work for you in 10 years. Welcome to the Run Culture Podcast. My name is Dane Verway. I'm an experienced runner and running physiotherapist. I created this podcast not only so I had an excuse to talk running each and every week, something that I love to do, but more importantly, this podcast gives me the opportunity to interview fellow runners, friends and health professionals in a relaxed and easygoing format. This podcast is designed for the everyday runner, so we can all live, learn, grow, and enjoy everything there is to running together. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to episode 31 of the Run Culture Podcast. Today I'm interviewing Nate Jenkins. Nate was an amazing marathoner for America. Um, He represented the USA in the uh, World Championships Marathon um, back in 2009 um, in Berlin. He is best known for his seventh place at the Olympic US Marathon Trials in 2008, uh, where he ran his PB of 214.56. And really that that run was equivalent to a little bit quicker, um, given the difficulty of um, the the course on that day um, and the weather conditions. Uh, he did all of this amazing um, performances over the marathon with a relatively modest um, high school and college career. Uh, what what really makes his journey interesting is how much of an advocate he became of the Canova marathon training approach and how much success he had as soon as he started incorporating these kind of training sessions into his um, regime. Today, I really wanna go over his experience with the Canova approach 
and some of some of the learnings that he's had along the way. It's a great episode. I really think any marathoner is going to like this episode. Uh, Nate's leading the way in terms of um, uh, uh, coaching a lot of people that want to incorporate a bit more of the Canova approach to their training. I'm a big believer and I like how he does say that there are some dangers with incorporating this kind of training approach and and you really have to treat it as an individual and um, given your background of running, uh, your your injury history and uh, your life outside of running and uh, you need to sort of dilute dilute um, the Canova approach into you don't you don't um, prescribe the full full regime um, generally unless you've got the time energy um, and robustness in your body. So I, I love how he he made, he specified that throughout the interview. Uh, thanks so much again, Nate. I really apologise for the quality of the audio. I've listened to it myself. I, you can definitely get a lot of good takeaways from the audio. I apologise for the scratchiness of it. Uh, we tried to do it through the Anchor app, but it just didn't work. So we've had to record it through Skype. And given the I was recording from Australia, he was recording from the USA, um, our Skype line was a little bit delayed and a little bit dodgy. It's still great, a great, great podcast. And um, I thorough, thoroughly recommend um, everyone listen to it because I, I, I definitely reckon um, you'll get something out of it. So enjoy. Here he is. All right, welcome back to episode 31 of the Run Culture Podcast. Today, I've got the pleasure to talk with Nate Jenkins, who's um, a renowned US marathoner and now coach, maths teacher, father, and uh, yeah, he lives in Massachusetts uh, from the US and uh, he has a PR a PB of 214.56 for the marathon where he came seventh at the US Olympic Trials. Um, in 2008, uh, he's uh, got a fantastic blog online, nateruns.blogspot.com, and he's also a coach with Ruben Zanker's team, Lowell Running. Uh, welcome to the show, Nate Jenkins. Hey, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. No, no worries. Um, it's an absolute honor to have you on the show. Yeah, excited to do it. Yeah, the, so... Uh, Talk a little training, talk a little running. Yeah, nice. Um, Nate, uh, do you mind giving everyone a, a brief uh, sort of um, background of uh, sort of your formative years as a runner? Yeah, sure. Um, so over here in the States, running is really based on school. So uh, when you get to um, your last four or five years of school, um, we have uh, tons of sports teams at that point, and um, I got into running, basically tried to get in shape for uh, basketball, um, and then realized I wasn't much of a basketball player, so I just ended up running year-round, um, and I was on a good team. Um, we were probably, we won a couple of state championships. Um, we were probably just outside of maybe a top 50 ranking uh, in the U.S. in terms of the team, so... We felt successful. We were winning on the highest level we could compete at um, at that time, just before the Nike Team Nationals and all of that existed over here. So, um, 
I myself was not that good. Um, I was a, a like fifth man on our cross country team for most of that, um, and I ended up with PBs of about four thirty in the mile, um, and just a little bit under ten minutes. I think I ran nine forty seven. Um, and at that point, I was by the end of high school, I was working pretty hard. Um, I ran a couple hundred mile weeks and that sort of thing. I went to uh, I ran in college. Um, at a Division II school, which is uh, NCAA is divided up into three divisions, um, and Division II is sort of the Goldilocks zone. It, there are some scholarship athletes, but it's a lot of schools that underfund things, and um, just a little different, a lot of internationals. Um, and I was decent, but I wasn't great. I qualified for a couple of national championships, um, but I was never an All-American. Um, so it's just sort of on the outside and in college I got a lot better but still not that great so I ran um 14:31 I think for 5000 um I think I maybe ran a 30:55 cross country 10k um so nothing that great but uh at the time here the marathon olympic trials qualifier was only 2:22 and um I had a couple more years of graduate school to finish up or a year of graduate school to finish up so I just sort of decided I would sort of keep my lifestyle same for a couple of years and try to run um, under that 222 qualifying mark. And as I was doing that, I really started coaching myself and just experimenting. Um, I started out doing a straight linear thing because I just had read those uh, Gilmore books and thought this is like all the secrets of the universe. <laughs> um, and I, I got in a ton of volume, but I didn't really see a ton of improvement. And then. Um, I found some stuff from Renato Canova. This is back in 2004, 2005. So he was just starting to post some stuff on the early let's run boards. And um, he had released it into another website for a guy who's 210 marathon who had gone to the same college I had, um, but like 20, 30 years before. Um, and the Canova stuff just worked for me. I was able to, he made sense to me. I was able to very quickly figure out how I needed to adjust the paces for myself. Um, and it just led to a huge breakthrough. So before starting, I'd run a half marathon about 107.30. Um, and four or five months later, I ran a half marathon in 103.44. And shortly after that, I ran a marathon in 215. Um, yeah, and that was it. I sort of, at that point, it was good enough to get a small shoe contract, and I just sort of rattled around for a little while until, uh, you know, injuries sort of coming. Yeah. Um, inju- like, I, I've read a fair bit about um, your backstory on your blog and listened to quite a few podcasts um, about your story. And um, throughout university and college, uh, you said you had a lot of injuries, um, uh you know, because um, you were sort of trying to do that, high, pushing that high high mileage and and you just combine that with a bit more of your natural stubbornness um, of, um, yeah, just, you know, wanting to be a good athlete, I suppose, and, and just, I suppose you got results from pushing higher mileage, so it's that, that tricky balance. Um, what did you learn from, um, you know, your college experience uh, around about that time? I... I learned a ton in college um the coach i had my first four years in college was at the end of his career he worked with some really good runners um he had two different alumni who had um shortly after leaving him had ended up finishing in the top five at the boston marathon and 
uh, he had a, you know, uh, kind of a old school philosophy and things. So we did do a lot of high mileage, but, um, he was really smart. But I do remember I kept getting hurt. I wasn't too good at listening. And, um, he dragged me into his office one day and, you know, it was just, I thought I was pissed off as someone can be and he just started screaming at me about how his whole policy with idiot kids was just let them touch the stove, figure out the time. Once they burn themselves, they'll stop. He's like, but you just keep touching the effing stove again, again, again. Haven't you figured out that it's burning you? <laughs> um, I didn't really listen to him right away, but slowly started to chisel into my head and I, I learned a lot about balance and stuff. And his basic philosophy was that everybody has a limit, um, but not to jump too quickly to assume that you're accurate because you're that a lot of the time it's about well, that's my limit right now, but what can I do with another year of, of decent training and, and just building intelligently? Um, so that transitioned into the guy who's still coaching there now, um, uh, who had a very similar philosophy, um, but was maybe a little bit better at getting me to listen. And, um, yeah, so I really figured out, like, how to sort of listen to my body and say, okay, well, that was the plan for this week, but you know, the body's saying that's not what's going to happen. And um, so by just backing off a little bit, um, I was able to be a lot more consistent. And then by being consistent, I was able to do a lot more. And so within a couple of years after um, finishing university, certainly I actually mean a year or so after finishing up university, um, my body had gotten to a place where it could really handle a lot of volume um, and I could train uh, quite hard. And I did. Um, and I didn't have a whole lot of um, traditional talent other than the ability to work really hard um, and not get hurt that often. I mean, I got hurt a lot in college, but I was doing, you know, the first injury I got was because I had averaged 100 and something miles a week for about 20 straight weeks. And the coach said, take a couple of weeks off. And I refused. And I just kept hammering through. Um, and he thought I was taking time off. So then he upped the mileage on the schedule that he was giving me by 20. So I went from 100 to 120. He upped it again by 20. I went from 120 to 140. All this with no rest for six months before. Yep. You know, whatever. So I stopped doing really stupid stuff like that. Um, and I let my body build up. I was able to, to really take a beating. But I don't have, like, speed, you know. Uh, my wife can beat me in a 400. Uh, I've run a quarter. <laughs> my absolute best in about 59 flat yeah so um <laughs> have good endurance and good durability yeah and so what were some of the sessions that you started adding in um to your training regime when you um saw the renata canova stuff online uh for that first marathon and when you saw that spike in improvement the biggest thing for me was discovering that there were different aerobic training paces um I, when I did my first cycle with Canova, I was trying to do a marathon specific phase. Um, the workouts were, I had come off a straight linear base and the transition was too sharp. So I would do a great workout um, and then it could take me two weeks sometimes to, to come back fully to do another full workout. Um, most Canova cycles you'll notice have uh, maybe in a seven day cycle, you might have four efforts that you would call a workout. But two of those would be very moderate. Um, you sort of do them and go, I must have screwed that up. That was too easy. Um, and then one would be more of a traditional kind of workout. Which you're like, yeah, that's, that's about what I'm used to feeling. And then one is just like 
absolutely the hardest thing you've ever done. It's truly exhausting when you're doing your talk about marathons. Like, so, um, but the big thing that I think led to my breakthrough was this idea. I sort of did maybe the most aerobic workout I did, because I did intervals and that, and that sort of thing, no repeats, but I would maybe do a three to six mile tempo run here or there. Um, and other than Lydiard, I had done like his 10 mile tempos in the base. But uh, all of a sudden, with the Canova stuff, you had four or five different aerobic type, uh, tempo type workouts of varying difficulty and distance, um, and you're playing with a lot of variables. And that, I just absolutely, over a short period of time, became a completely different run. Um, it was a, a level of aerobic development. I think I was, I was a jump I was ready to make because of the volume I had been putting in for years um, and because of the type of runner that I am. But it was life-changing. I mean, at the start of the cycle, um, you know, uh, I could string together maybe six or seven, five, 20 miles. Um, and then by the end of this cycle, I was, you know, able to do a marathon at five, 10, five, 12 miles. So it was really, um, eye-opening. Yeah. What, uh, like you spoke of, um, not doing Canova's, uh, base phase. Um, and I, I reckon if you, if you can, um, tell listeners about that story when you did find out that there was a base phase when you talked to or you yeah, met, yeah. met Renata. So, I, mean, I yeah. had um I had done just literally base I, I wasn't even planning on really doing a marathon yet my college coach who I've worked for at the time since this and said you should try those windows opening up you should at least try one it was this great race um race still exists because it's very different now um in Texas in like February a month or so after the window of all the high country were gone I had run well enough that they would um, help the travel costs to come in. And so I'd gone in, I ran this great debut as far as I was concerned um, with a 2.15, but I had come apart in the last four miles. So um, I want to say I was 142 20s at 20 miles. Um, and then that 20th mile was like a 4.57, and I was kind of locked into 5.0s. I ran like 508 for the next two miles each. Um, and then the wheels just came off. Um, and I crawled in the last four miles. I think I ran a bunch of miles in the 520s and maybe one of them was had a hill in it. I ran like 545 or something. So I was just barely, you know, held myself together. I, I went on sort of training um, that way, but the canola stuff I found was just a specific phase. That's all I'd ever seen. Um, and that fall, uh, New York City Marathon, New York Roadrunners brought me in as one of the young guys qualified for the trials to see the course. I wasn't running the race or anything, but I had to hang out for the weekend. And it was an, uh, I think it was an after party from the race or if it was like the night before, but I ended up on a bus uh, and Canova was on the same bus. Um, and so we were getting off the bus. I managed to... Uh, basically corner him um he might have thought that i was trying to mug him i'm not sure (laughs) but uh i uh i just was like hey you know thank you so much for putting your stuff out there and all this and i told him i had run a i'd gone from running a 107 half marathon and that i had run uh a 10344 half and a a, a 2328k um and a 215 marathon and he immediately said you didn't follow my base what did you do a lydiard base 
And I just looked like, I, I can't even imagine what my face looked like. And I said, yeah, that's, that's actually exactly what I did. How do you know? And he said, well, you should have run 213 um, high. You yeah. run three half in your tune-up. Um, and then he was like, you weren't able to do most of the workouts during the specific phase. The, the recovery took too long. And I was like, yeah, exactly. Um, and then he basically, you know, sort of just said, if you follow a lot of my bases before, you'll build into those workouts and you'll be able to do the recovery. Um, and my next marathon cycle that I got through healthy, uh, said to have a little injury, um, actually sort of right then when I was talking to him, I had just gotten over a little bit of a, a nail, um, that it, it kind of wrecked my fall. But the next cycle that I managed to get through, um, was for the U S Olympic trials. Um, and it only ran about, uh, 30 seconds faster, but it was on a much, much tougher course. So the course was probably two to three minutes slower um, than where I'd run my debut. So it was a, a really a massive improvement, and I was running with a whole different level of guy. Yep. So it was, he wasn't kidding. He knew what he was talking about. <laughs> um, and with um, the phases that Canova um, sort of has in his training, so there's the base phase, and then um, is it the specific phase um, and the special yeah, block or something? I mean, really, yeah. if you read what he's he writes, he calls, um, he says that there's four. That you can have a fundamental, uh, a base, a special, and a specific. But if you start to kind of read into it, the fundamental is basically he's only going to use for developing athletes and people who just aren't racing for a block of time. So, and the fundamental is really like a traditional linear base for the most part. I mean, a little more. Um, focus on some of the muscular stuff, but I mean, even that, but you're really happy doing strides every week um, and uh, probably a little bit of hill springing and bounding um, additionally. So, not really that different there. Then, um, a, and a long tempo, which again, not that different um, from a, a linear phase. But uh, then the special phase is also not really, I, I, I hesitate to agree with him and calling it a full phase. I agree that there's a slight change in training, but essentially it's just a three, four week tops, you know, probably more like two, three week period where you sort of transition the workouts um, into the specific workouts. Um, so it's a little, um, it's, and even that, I would say this phase very much melts together. So the special is just a little more, one of those periods where you're sort of really see the melting um from one workout into the next and how they sort of change focus but um but yeah traditionally it's a base into a, a special into specific the big thing is um that all of the workouts serve very very specific purposes and they're all designed in a way that you're building in the base, fundamental physical abilities to do workouts that you need to do in the specific phase that are used to build the ability to run a race at whatever your goal is. Yeah. Yeah, great. Yeah. Uh, and on your blog, I read about um, uh, also the one of the special uh, blocks that or special blocks that you did. Um, I think it might have been with Ruben and... Uh, it might have been the first time you ever did the session where you did the, the two 10Ks in the morning and then you worked at the shoe shop and then a 10K in the afternoon uh, and then uh, 10 by 1K 
uh, can you tell us about that session and um, and and I and I, I think reading the blog you said that was the moment that you felt like you you really um, felt like you believed in yourself a little bit more as a marathoner. Yeah. Um, so I had that was largely a not entirely solo day, but that was Ruben was still a bit of a kid then, so I think he would have been a sophomore in college. So we weren't really training together yet, but um, yeah. So I was. Uh, I had started with the Canova stuff. I had started to kind of make a breakthrough. I had done um, some of the more moderate sessions successfully. Um, I think I had done uh, like a 12 mile run at maybe 520s, you know, 530 or just under pace. Um, and those and a couple of progression runs that really sort of had instant impact. Um, and I had done a very good long fart leg session. Um, and then, yeah, I had this first special block, which was early in the specific phase. Um, and what makes it a special block is that it wasn't entirely specific for the heart portion. So a specific marathon block would have two marathon portions. And in a special block, um, it has one marathon portion and one um, lactate threshold portion. So anyway, the workout was scheduled as in the morning, warm up, then do a 10K uh, easy tempo, uh, what would now be generally referred to as easy tempo pace, something around 80%, 85% of marathon goal pace. And then immediately follow that with a 10 kilometer tempo run marathon pace. Then come back in the afternoon, um, do another warm up, another 10K at the, that 80, 85, um, and then follow that with 10 by a thousand at roughly lactate threshold, maybe just a little bit faster. Um, but now you're, you're closing in on, you know, uh, 30 miles or 50 kilometers for the day. So it's getting, you're getting on some pretty heavy legs. So at the time I was training with a guy a little bit who's sort of, uh, he was maybe seven, eight years older than me. And he was, um, trying to make a little comeback for one last shot, a four minute mile, but he wasn't in that kind of shape yet. He, um, he did the first of the four like tempo portions with me. So we warmed up, we did 10 K and you know, just under 34 minutes, nothing, nothing hot. And then, um, he basically said goodbye, headed off to work. <laughs> um, and I, I, I dropped another 10 K, um, in right about 32 minutes, which was a lot faster than at the time. I was still thinking 222 in my head. Um, and I was kind of surprised that I was able to do that. I based it off the other uh, workouts and that was kind of a goal, but when it actually happened, I was a little surprised. And then, yeah, I went off of work for the day. Um, I had a really easy job at a shoe store that didn't get a whole lot of business. Um, and so came back that night. It's winter up here, uh, which is dark uh, and cold. Um, and so I was out on a very busy but flat street uh, in the city I was living in. And did another 10K in just under 34 minutes, just about 34 flat, if I remember correctly. Um, and then had to do 10 by 1,000. And uh, the first six or so, I rattled off right at about three minutes. Um, and it was just fun. That's what it was scheduled to be. But I mean, I just, just starting that run in the afternoon, just doing the warm up, I felt like I could run 100 meters at my goal pace. I felt totally exhausted. And all of a sudden, here I am, 16, 17 miles into this session. 
and I'm, I'm hitting these times. And then it got really hard. And I want to say like the eighth kilometer, I couldn't hit the pace. I ran like a 305. And then the last couple were like you know, successively slower. So the last one was slower than marathon pace, like 312, 313 for the last kilometer. And then I just shuffled back to the house, uh, which was less than a mile away. I drank a half gallon of chocolate milk um, and tried to go to school. It was cramped all night and just struggling. But uh, I sort of realized like that was a spectacular session. And um, I knew that it was just on a different level from where I was. Um, and it just gave me this huge confidence uh, that I was, I was making a breakthrough. Um, and so I had a couple of ups and downs after that. Um, but it, it my thing is that fitness doesn't disappear. Unless you stop running, your fitness isn't going anywhere. So you might run poorly because you're tired. You might run poorly because you're sick. You might run poorly because conditions are bad. But that doesn't mean that that fitness is gone anywhere. You know, even if you get anemic or something like that, your fitness hasn't gone anywhere. You just need to fix what's wrong and it's waiting up for you. So once I had done a session like that, it became more like I've just got to make sure I show up fresh, healthy, and ready to go on the day. Yeah. How long did that session take to recover from? Yeah, a good long while. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, I want to say... The following weekend, I was racing a 3,000 on the track, which was a stupid thing to do. It, it had nothing to do with my goal at the time. Yep. Um, but an indoor invitational around here that I had won um, when I was in college, then my first like serious race win. And then the following year, uh, it had been camp, which would have been my first year out of school. It got canceled because of snowstorm. So this was like defending my title a couple of years later. And I just lost. I'm in such great shape. I was a kid. I didn't get the idea that condition, I could be getting into great specific shape for a marathon and that trying to run a 3,000 meters was just too far away, particularly for someone like me who does not possess um, much natural lactate um, ability to process lactate nor natural speed. And I mean, this is a good, it must have been, I want to say like eight days later, nine days later. And uh, I had attempted a couple of workouts in between, but aborted them. Like I just hadn't been able to hit paces. And um, I remember trying to put my uh, spikes on. I dumped my warm up on the track and trying to put my spikes on to run the race. And my legs were so tired. They were sh my foot was like shaking from the spike on. Um, and so I went out and I ran like eight and a half minutes for 3K, which was. 10 seconds off my PB at time. And I was sort of expecting that just based off these workouts and that I tend to be the kind of guy who no matter what's going on, when the gun goes off for a race, I tend to really run um, to my full potential. Uh, and so that was like, whoa, I'm still pretty trash. Like that was like the only time I really lost faith in what I was doing. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, maybe three, four days after that, I kind of came right um, and also, you know, did something that was longer and more of a test and it really went well. And then I was kind of like, oh, okay, no, that was just, you were just that tired. It's okay. Um, and then I tapered off and ran a half marathon tune-up and like literally was just setting, I think, 
I might have just missed my PR at four miles, then a PR for five miles, PR for 10 You know, just one of those things where I was just so massively ahead in the run before that it was almost like a dream. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, like, as far, like, this is my my take on it. So, like, I feel like um, from what I've learned from you, Nate, is that there's a lot of advantages of the Canova training um, if you're prepared for it, like if you're um, sort of uh, like you were, like you'd done a lot of running, so you were strong and, and ready to take on that challenge. Um, what are um, some of the advantages of the Canova kind of approach um, compared to, say, um, the classic sort of um, historic US sort of marathoners approach or the classic sort of Australian marathon sort of approach um yeah what are some of the um i suppose uh differences in terms of the training system um and advantages and then i suppose we could probably go like also to the risks i suppose as well yeah yeah well i think that the thing with the canova stuff is that the only thing that is out there is for extremes um, it's for people who are full-time trainers and, and they're going at full-time. And, yep. um, and I never really talked to them about the specifics of it. I, I once had uh, another conversation with him where he talked about working with uh, his physio um, who was traveling with his athletes, who was also a marathoner, and that he coached that guy to his up to 20 marathon. Um, but he said the guy was shocked because he was cutting his volume and he it seemed so much easier than he was doing before he said you got to train very differently if you are a full-time job versus a full-time thing so i think that if you're looking at the canova and trying to do it to the way that you read about it um it is extremely difficult and um fraught with risk um and it is it's, it's largely a program that's designed around sort of the african situation of you need to be the best in the world um, and anything less is just not going to do you any good. Um, but I think that some of the lessons from it can be sort of interpreted into anything. Now, in comparison with like the American and the Australian systems, I think, well, there's, there's two different comparisons to be made there. I would say that the traditional American marathon system, with some very notable exceptions, is just not a system at all. It's, it's just a failure. Um, now, that should... I should be very clear that excludes Bill Squires and the tremendous success that he had. I would exclude Bob Larson um, and Joe B. Hill from that. Um, you know, Terrence Mann, uh, who, who had tremendous, tremendous success in the marathon. But I would also argue that they haven't used what would be called the traditional American system. Um, the Australian system is very different. Very, the, the traditional sort of Australian Pat Clohessey inspired, you know, um, inspired system is extraordinarily effective for producing marathon results on a minimum amount of marathon specific work. And so you see a lot of Australian marathoners historically from a nation as compared to the U.S., a very small population, um, who produce some really good marathon results over the years. Um, relative to the world standard, but also relative to their 5K, 10K type performances. Um, and I think that that actually kind of ties into the Canova thing. So when you look at that traditional OSCE system, you're 
month part like your um, deep quarter session, those workouts are essentially an alternations Canova style workout. Now, Canova doesn't do those specific workouts, but he does alternations and finds that those lead to marathon success. Additionally, the traditional midweek um, up-tempo medium-long run would fit into a Canova fundamental um, paced um, long run or long tempo. Um, and the like a uh, long run with the surges, um, which is fairly common, also fits into some of the Canova um, Bartlett stuff that he does. So you're hitting a lot of the, the sort of the similar systems. Versus the sort of failed side of the American system is these guys who just go out and do a lot of 10K intervals, a lot of 5K intervals, you know, 20 by 400 and um, 6 by a mile. Do a long run on Sunday, probably two minutes slower than their 5K pace. And then go run a marathon and blah, blah. Now, some of them just went and ran another marathon, ran another marathon, and eventually did so many marathons for specific work that they got good at it. Um, but for the most part, we have a, a long history of sub-28 minute 10K runners with 214 to 216 marathon bests, which is sad, you know? Um, but I think that there is almost like a, an intersection to be seen there where the Aussie system would be sort of in the middle. Um, and then the Canova end of things in terms of risk is I think that you see these great results and you want to do it right. You want to do it the way that he's written it out and without modification. Um, and if you do that, you're very likely going to tear your body apart. Uh, very few people are physically naturally capable of handling it and then um if they can handle it um have the lifestyle that's going to allow them to handle it or have done the prerequisite work that allow them to handle it um and then if you do go to use it on a different way that can be tricky uh and i think for a lot of people it's about finding um someone who understands the system well enough to break it down and change it um for them uh, and to have it there. And, and that's that's a tricky thing. I mean, as someone who's doing coaching that is inspired by that, I do it. I messed it up. I have definitely messed it up. Um, I had people who I'm, I I get to the end of their cycle and I just go, God, I just gave them too much. I just, I thought they were here and they weren't. And, um, you know, we're not getting the results. We're not absorbing the workouts in the way that they need to be. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so with... Uh the Canova training. Um, I've read, you know, some of your blogs and, and one of the big differences, I suppose, is that there's more running at that, um, I suppose, 80% to um, 99% of marathon pace um, than um, uh, your, your typical US or Australian sort of marathon um, training. Um, what would you say the advantage of, of that is um, in a cycle? Uh, aerobic development. Um, yep. In terms of the marathon, a lot of that is just aerobic development. So once you get to a certain point, just doing regular mileage is more about aerobic maintenance. Um, and then in terms of really continuing that aerobic development, you do need to be in sort of those higher aerobic zones. Um, I would actually say that the... The way I would look at it is that 
in terms of the difference between the American and Canova is the variety of paces. So the American system, you tend to have like, hey, I'm doing some hard intervals or I'm running easy. Um, the Australian system, you tend to actually touch on all the, space, the paces, but a lot of times maybe more minimally. Um, whereas Canova does tend to do um, a lot of the longer workouts um, and maybe uh, just put a little bit more emphasis on the variety of paces that are faster than what would be a, a traditional training run uh, with friends, um, but slower than what would be like a, a lactate threshold type, um, you know, half marathon, 10 mile pace uh, workout. Yep. And um, yep. yeah, what about uh, some of those uh, slower pace, uh, like they're not like an easy run with friends, but they're not, you know, marathon pace, but they're say 80, 90% and you're running for a long time, like those kind of uh, sessions with Canova, are they like, are they sort of to try to design, get the body better at metabolizing uh, fat? I think that in terms of the marathoner, yes, that is one thing that they provide, particularly as those workouts get longer. But I think that the real benefit of those is in aerobic development. And he wasn't the one who discovered this, and you'll find them in different systems. So if you look at Joe Vigil over here in the U.S., he had his college kids starting in the mid-1970s doing 12-mile um, uh, tempo runs, their long runs, for lack of a better term, that were run at something a little bit slower than what would likely be their marathon pace based off their 5K pass. Um, obviously, most of those college kids are not going out and running a marathon. Um, and... Uh, McDonald coached at Arkansas and had just, they were absolutely dominant in the 90s. Sim, very similar thing. Uh, they were a very low mile system and they, they used to do a long run on Sunday that was just 12 miles long. Um, but so, somewhat famously, uh, Bob Kennedy, who was the top American in the 1990s and a sub 13 5K runner, um, was used as a winter running base and running with them and nicknamed it the um, Sunday long race because <laughs> it, it was so fast. Yeah. Um, it wasn't uncommon on these kids who were, you know, 28 mid 10 K runners to run that Sunday long run in 60 minutes. So five minutes a mile, three Oh six, three Oh seven a kilometer. Um, and then the other of the, the pace, you can see with Canova's, he tends to use more variety of the paces. So 80% of your marathon pace, 60% of your five K pace is just a run where you get a little carried away. It's very hard to call that a workout. Now, for marathon-specific training, Canova will get you to drag that out to 40 kilometers. That becomes a workout. Yep. You know, that's like going for a Sunday long run with a guy who's, you know, two degrees better than you, and just you go home and lay on the couch all day and wonder what the heck you were thinking. Yeah. Um, but if you're really following the Canova system, you're going to build into that. So you'll start doing that at... 16 to 20 kilometers and you're just kind of like oh it's just an up-tempo run i just sort of focused on my run today and then it just gets a little longer a little longer and you find yourself 16 weeks later doing 40 kilometers but you're really prepared for it so that session isn't as devastating as it would have been otherwise nice yep and um you've mentioned alternations um a couple of times um uh and and i you know, read on your blog that you really like that session. Um, 
you know, whether it's 400 meter alternations or one kilometer alternations. Uh, uh, yeah, what, what do you like so much about that training? Well, I think that there are two things. I think that it's more specific to racing um, at the shorter distances. So if you, I mean, even looking at, you know, um, a, a deep quarter section where you're trying to run the three miles very quickly, that's a lot more specific than if you take even short standing break on hard 400s because the reality is, is that you can train your body to recover very quickly from hard burps. Um, my wife uh, in college had a program that wasn't working for most of the people and um, she at one point did 12 by 400 meters in 75 seconds on a 45 second to or so standing recovery. Jeez. Now, I hear you can do 12 by 475 on 45 seconds recovery and I think you should be able to run a 5,000 in 15 and a half minutes. Um, and she was running it closer to 18 flat. But the big thing was is that her body just learned how to repeat that session effectively. When you do an alternation session, the way your body has to learn to cope is to flush lactic acid while you're running at the slower pace. But that slower pace isn't very slow. It's maybe your marathon pace um, or just a little bit slower than that. And when you're doing that, the specific adaptations that your body makes to be able to make that adjustment basically have a side effect of huge aerobic fitness improvement. And so uh, you can suddenly take a, an athlete uh, who thinks they're doing a workout that's 5K specific or 10K specific, and in reality what you're doing is completely changing their lactic threshold um, or completely changing their aerobic um, capacity so that they um, see huge jumps in what they're capable of doing um, from 5,000 to the half marathon. Yep. Um, yep. I remember reading that um, about, a, I think it was a couple of weeks out from your 215 marathon, uh, you did the about 20 by 1K on, 1K off, um, uh, alternating between, I think it was half marathon pace and then... Um, uh, a, a little bit slower and you, you said you really struggled with the recovery um, uh, but then you sort of thought it was a case that you just hadn't sort of built up built up to that session um, yeah what did you sort of uh, learn or discover there yeah so that was definitely because um, that's also before I talked to Canova and he sort of told me I was an idiot for not doing his base phase yeah um, is also when I sort of had the most clear assessment that I hadn't properly followed things through uh, because I was fresh for that workout. I was, I had uh, recovered fully from my half marathon. This was going to be my one last big marathon session before going. I was doing it on the track. So it was as flat as it, it, it could be. And there was a bit of wind, but it wasn't, wasn't too bad. And so it was supposed to be, 20 kilometers where you're going to average marathon pace, but yet you do basically 1K at about half marathon pace, um, maybe just a shade faster, um, and then recover with uh, a recovery kilometer that's still quick enough that you manage to average your uh, 
experiment. So for me, the goal is to keep the on Ks as close to three flat as possible. And then the off Ks around 320, which would set me at about 310, which would be about the 213 marathon pace that Canova ended up coming together. Um, at that time, I didn't fully understand the workout. I, I knew with the pace where I didn't get that that was averaging marathon pace. I was basing it off of um, half marathon fitness, which I knew. Um, and there, there was, again, very little of Canova stuff out there to go on at the time. But yeah, if you're going to do that workout, in reality, you start in the base phase with the same 20 kilometers probably still doing maybe three to 305 for that on K, but your recovery the first time out would be at four minutes a kilometer, maybe even a little slower. And then you come back a month later, you do the work again, but you, you do the recoveries at 340, 350 a kilometer. And then you come back now in the special phase and you do it going, you know, 330 a kilometer. And then in the specific phase, you do this last session sort of culmination after where you run the three points. But I hadn't done any of that build up. And so I go out, I mean, the kilometers felt great. I'd done some lactic threshold work. I'd done those really tired um, special block where I, I was busted. So I thought, no problem. And very quickly, I was in trouble. Um, and I want to say, I made it seven kilometers, not seven on kilometers, a total of seven of the 20 kilometers. And I just remember um, making it about halfway through a, re a recovery kilometer. So probably what would have been the eighth kilometer. And I just literally collapsed, just laid down on the track. Like, I mean, it was, I was just completely wiped out aerobically. Um, and I just called it. I decided that, all right, well, that, that, that was a total fail. <laughs> um, and then, uh, I later on, uh, in my running development, you know, getting ready for the Olympic trials and other races, I did that session, um, with the proper build up and was able to do it. Uh, and it really made a difference in my overall fitness, but, um, yeah, it's not something you can do with a one Do you think, uh, one of the advantages of the Canova session is the mental confidence that you get also, um, and then I, I suppose also the um, the muscle strength you get from being out there for such long stretches. Yeah. I think that there's definitely, um, particularly for some people who need the specific muscular endurance. You know, you find people who cramp up late marathons or who really do suffer from a muscular fatigue, um, not a, a, a lack of glycogen. I think that there's a, a, something huge to be said for that muscular development, and I wouldn't say that that is something that looking at the traditional um, Australian system is somewhat lacking. I mean, you have the long hilly run that does address that, but not completely. And I think if you look at the great Australian marathoners, they were naturally very strong guys. I mean, De Castell is just a big, strong, strapping guy. Yeah. Um, if you watch the 89 World Cross Country and see Monaghan move through that field in what was probably the worst cross-country conditions ever uh, for a World Cross Country, you know he's just a really wiry, strong man. Uh, and they have this great success. But I think that tells you these guys are, are fairly naturally strong and they're having this great success. Maybe a strength component is missing from that system. Um, so I do think that that muscular 
portion is good. Um, in terms of the confidence thing, I took great confidence on it. But I think that if you don't take confidence from your workouts, doing better workouts isn't going to help that. Um, that that's more of a mental state. So I can get great confidence from Australian system workouts or American system workouts. Um, I really have faith that training equals race success. And I see that. And so, um, there it is. But I think that a lot of people don't make that same connection and let those fears, um, really kind of dominate them. And I've known some people who they can honestly run the race that they want to run in practice and they still would be confident they were going to run it on the day. Yeah. Um, so I think that the confidence thing, yeah, maybe, but I don't know. I think that might be a little bit of the, there was a Disney bobsledding movie uh, in the nineties and, uh, the coach says, if you're not man enough at the top of the hill, you'll never be man enough at the bottom of the hill, no matter what. I think that that is one of those scenarios. Yep. Okay. And yeah, just, um, yeah, scanning through your website again. Um, I liked your article where you summarized, um, uh, your, your training, um, and you sort of said, I've got four, four main pillars to my training. Um, uh, uh, I think it's a good summary of sort of like of, of some of the sessions that you've, um, already talked about. Uh, do you mind going through those four pillars? Ooh, I yeah. can try. Now, yeah. I wrote that a yeah. long time ago. So um, I think that when you're looking at any development, you, you've got to break down your running into um, areas of fitness. And in terms of that, I, I'm guessing what I talked about is you need good aerobic development. You need good muscular development. Um, and within aerobic development, you're going to need um, both basic aerobic development um, as well as specific, you know, lactate threshold. Uh, and I even, I, I like to say aerobic threshold as well. It's a, it's a scientifically debunked term, but the training pace is effective. Um, it just doesn't line up with the original research that was done on it. Um, and then to train specifically, when, it, when you are getting closer to racing. So I would say that, that if, if you stick to those things, you're good. Now, whether those have anything to do with what I wrote as the four pillars in that blog, I have <laughs> no clue. Um, not kept up on my, uh, my blog. I will say I stand by everything that is on there, but whether I'm remembering correctly what that blog was about or not, I have no idea. Yeah, you had... Um... Uh, the fourth pillar was speed work, um, being able to run fast while relaxed. Uh, number one was uh, fu- fundamental tempos, uh, so uh, fast long yeah, runs while being comfortable. Aerobic threshold, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, number two, specific work, uh, like you mentioned. Uh, number three, uh, threshold workouts, uh, yeah. like the alter- alternations. And- alternations and the tempo. So I didn't do that bad. Yeah, and I, I actually I'm from those pillars there, the, the running fast or relaxed, I think is huge. I think that uh, I don't know how it is in Australia. Here in the U.S., we tend to have this. It's got to be hard. Everything's harder. You got to race harder. You got to work out harder. And the reality is, is that 
the people who are beating you very rarely are beating you because they're that much tougher. They're that much harder. I'm a, I especially had that. I mean, from the very beginning, I was the type of, I was just the type of kid who, if you told me run until you pass out, I could pretty much do that. But um, what was, what is, the people who were beating me were running as hard. They felt better, you know, two miles into a 5K than I did. It's speed with relaxation is everything. And I think that you need to practice that in order to produce. I mean, you think about a 5,000. You know, if you run it well, you've got three kilometers at least that feel pretty darn good. Um, and that's a long distance to run fast. You know, it is pretty outrageous. Uh, I'm forgetting his name, but the guy just broke the world record on the roads. You know, vapor fly assisted or whatever. Oh, check the guy. The yeah, check the guy. He he went through 3K in about 740, 742, something like that. <laughs> and he was still feeling pretty good. You know, that's back-to-back 405, 406 miles. <laughs> that takes a lot of relaxed speed and training to be able to produce something like that. Yeah, nice. Also, genetic input yep. from mom and dad. <laughs> Um, like, uh, you also, um, um, got this, um, little, um, sort of formula of measuring your half marathon to marathon potential. And, um, yeah, like I've seen you sort of say that it should be, um, at least within 5% and if you're more marathon sort of, um, uh, biased and and inclined that maybe even 3% difference between your half marathon and marathon. Uh, yeah, and you can get, you can get a little tighter than that. Uh, some people get really really tight, but I would say five percent. If you're not within five percent, in really unless your mileage is is extremely low, um, which in you know everyday runners might see some variation on this. But if you're pretty serious, if you're getting after it, and you're more than five percent, there's a flaw in your training. Something isn't right. And that's assuming similar conditions and courses. You know, that's not, oh, I ran this great half marathon. It was, um, you know, five degrees Celsius out, and I just had perfect, no winds, great pack to run in. And then I ran this marathon, and it was a hot day at Gold Coast, and I crumbled the key. No, that's not a fair comparison. But if you're looking at in similar conditions, you're more than 5% slower, something's wrong with your training. Now, another easier way to look at it is this. Take how much you slowed down per kilometer from your 10K to your half marathon. That should be about the same as what you slow down from the half marathon to the marathon and from the 5K to the 10K, for that matter as well. Um, And you'll notice that most athletes in tr- traditional systems don't. That if you look at the traditional American system, it would be it would be like someone slows seven seconds from their five k to their ten k, seven seconds from their ten k uh, to their marathon, and then fourteen seconds per kilometer to their marathon, and go, what the heck happened? Um, I think in the Aussie system, you tend to see people who are a little bit tighter. Um, 
but they're still not quite slowed down the same. Um, now, if you look at the people who are doing the Pinot stuff in the Italian system, you know, going way back, and they did tend to meet this. So someone like uh, Jolinda Wardini in the 80s um, slowed almost exactly the same uh, from 10K to half marathon is half marathon to the, the marathon. So, uh, but that's a, a good rule of thumb. If, if that's where you're at and you're looking for how can I judge what I should use as a goal, that would be it. Just keeping in mind, you know, you got to be aware of conditions both on your day of training, you know, as well as um, in terms of your uh, race day. Nice. Um, and, uh, yeah, just wary of keeping you too long, but I've just got a couple more questions. Um, Nate, um, who, who um, have been your biggest inspirations uh, for, like, obviously... Um, you know, Canova's been a big inspiration, but who who are some of the coaches that have been your biggest inspirations um, uh, in terms of your views on um, how to train as a runner? Um, so, um, Pat Clancy and um, Rob Warbar are huge for, or Chris Warbar, sorry, are huge for me. Um, and just because I love uh, a lot of that simplicity. Um, and taking, finding a way to sort of boil down the important things and just put it all into a week or two's training. Um, really, really interesting and impressive. Um, Joe Beagle here in the States, uh, his, he wrote a book, which I think you can still get if you search around the um, dark corners of the internet, um, wrote to the top, which... It's still stunning to me to read because he published it in like 1990, um, and it's got nearly everything that you would find um, in the most up-to-date text now. Um, and he's really someone who had just outrageous success um, here in a very non-traditional way, coming from a, a very sort of limited opportunity um, and produced massive, massive uh, world-class success with athletes who otherwise uh, were unlikely to do so. Um, so I think that in terms of coaching, uh, those are definitely some. I mean, there are other coaches who might have huge admiration or huge respect about. Um, for years, I just didn't learn much from them. Uh, you know, some like Bob Larson coached at UCLA for years and coached because um, like he drew Spectacular coach, amazing results, not just with Matt. I mean, he coached uh, Ed Mendoza and, um, and uh, oof, maybe Kirk Pepper back in the early 80s to 210s. Um, but he kind of placed things close to the desk. So, other than one long uh, ride, a rental car in Colorado one time, I haven't really got a chance to learn anything from him. He doesn't have a out there. So it doesn't reduce my respect for him. You know, I'd say like Jerry Schumacher, same thing that I, I'm, I'm totally floored by the success he has. Like, there's not a lot out there on what he's doing that um, I at least had the opportunity to check out. So in terms of coaches, yeah, those are the big, the really big ones for me. With um, Joe V Hill, uh, what are what are um, probably the best takeaways that you've had from uh, reading some of his stuff and. Uh... The absolute importance to um, incorporate all speeds of training in all phases, 
to understand what your goal is with every workout, um, both physiologically, um, but more importantly in terms of the training. So if I'm doing this workout, what am I trying to do with it? How is this furthering me towards my overarching goal? And that is really tough because it's easy with a specific workout. You know, if I'm doing a workout that's in in season four or five K, it's really easy to say, well, this workout is at my race pace, trying to get ready to run this pace for 5,000 meters. But it gets a little trickier when you're in the summer and you're, you're doing something that isn't at your pace and you're saying, well, what I'm trying to do here is just get my tempo run a little bit longer because if I can run by 15 a mile for 12 miles instead of 10 miles, that's going to make my lactic threshold tempo in a month that much easier. And that is going to make being able to do 1,000 meter repeats a month after that at my 5K pace that much faster. Um, and so seeing things um, like that, I think are really important. In terms of the real day-to-day fundamentals, um, I love his uh, approach to a long tempo efforts. Uh, both, uh, I mentioned his 12-mile tempo, but also we did a workout called Stepping Stone, which is sort of a play on that. Um, and then he liked doing uh, sort of what I would call almost easy um, mile repeats uh, through the base phase, it would be something uh, approaching like critical velocity, a little bit, just a little bit faster than uh, lactate threshold. Um, with pretty significant rest, but it was just about running something fairly quick, fairly relaxed, um, which helped with the transition to regular workouts, but also builds a lot of muscle. You know, we talked about that a little bit. Um, and builds efficiency at a pretty quick pace. Um, and now for him, those weren't like that's when you got someone we would consider roughly a four minute mile or um, or that kind of fitness doing mile repeats in the summer barely under five minutes. Um, but that is still good quality work. Um, and doing that in a base phase really does sort of pay big dividends um, in terms of your ability to then run much faster workouts later. Yep. If you were to look back on your own career um, as a runner, um, what would you wish that you'd done differently or changed when you look, reflect and look back on it? Like what was, um, you know, everyone lives and learns and makes mistakes. Like that's just part of living. But look, what, what would some of your um, things that you wish back, if you had your time again, go, oh yeah, I would probably do that now. Um, the biggest thing for me would be uh, some functional core work. I was kind of lazy and limited in what I did for um, core work and cross training in the beginning. And I think that led um, to some of the, the injury that essentially ended my career. I think that um, that or some like yoga or something um, would go a long way uh, in preventing the sort of um, things that went wrong or thing that went wrong for me. Really, I just had one one injury. I mean, I'm not hundred percent sure on what happened, but as near as I can tell, I, I tore um, my medius partially off the bone and didn't realize it. Um, and then without that diagnosis on that, essentially, you know, uh, 
I just could never get things. My friends tried to quite come back. Um, and I think that that, you know, maybe could have been a fluke thing, but my guess is it's not really a fluke thing. I was training very, very hard. I was very stiff. Um, and I don't have great posture or great core strength. Um, so I think that was one thing that I was definitely lazy about um, that I wish I had been more focused on. Other than that, um, I would have loved to have learned um, to really focus on the aerobic stuff sooner. That's where my strength lies. That's where I was able to make great gains. Um, and I, I could have run a lot better at a younger age if I had done more aerobic work. Yep. And um, like I read on your blog that you, one of your big things, and I think it's really spot on, is that everyone's an individual and everyone's so different. Um, like with, um, I suppose, the um, Canova approach, um, uh, and you sort of spoke of it a little bit before, how you have to sort of a, adapt it to like if you're working and your busy lifestyle. Um, but would you say um, uh, that... You know, there's little bits and parts of um, every training system that you can sort of uh, uh, accommodate and sort of um, mould mold to you or dilute to you. Um, and do you, would you say that some people are better responders to the Canova training than others? Um, yes. I, I think that what I would say is that everybody is an individual in so much that it's like you're making a soup and half the soup's already done. Um, and the ingredients are all the same. We know we're making an instrument soup and ingredients today, but you don't know exactly what's already in the soup. And you got to taste it and say, okay, that needs more tomato base or that needs more onions or that needs more... Fit, or that. And so the basic ingredients for running success all are the same. And good workouts are good workouts. They serve a good purpose. But what is the right workout for me today might be the wrong workout for you today because we're coming at it from different places, we're at different points in our development. Um, and also because we absorb different types of work more readily or um, more reticently. So the individual part of things is that each of us handles training and absorbs training in our own way. The systems, the coaches who have great success are because they've hit upon the type of work that everybody needs. It's, this is the good stuff. These are the key training paces, the key efforts to making those gains. But how you incorporate them has to take into account what are your strengths, what are your weaknesses, as well as what are your life and training limitations. Um, and so what is right for you right now, probably not going to work for you in 10 years. I'm thrilled with my training right now. Uh, I'm really making some gains and doing really, really well, but it looks nothing. I mean, it, at first glance, nothing like what it looked 12 years ago. Um, but if you take deep real notice, it's all the same paces. It's all the same inputs. It's just my body can't handle and my schedule won't allow 
for 145 weeks at this point. I've, I've done so much damage, you know? Yep. And, like, on that, what what's life look like for Nate Jenkins now? So, um, what are your goals and... Uh, um, and then also, um, uh, like, um, you st- are you still working as a math teacher and how's the family and, uh, uh, yeah, how's, it, how's 2020 look? Um, so, yeah, I, I, family is uh, great, getting bigger. My wife um, is due with our second child um, in May, our little girl. Oh, nice. Um, my is... Um, about a year and a half old, uh, he's at this like stage of um, being able to finally communicate and tell you what he wants, what he doesn't want, um, and he's just a little wild man, uh, out of control, fun and everything. Um, so he's like a ton of fun all the way, um, which is wonderful. I do teach uh, middle school here, um, so like 12, 13 year olds, uh, I teach math. Um, it's a ton of fun. Uh, I have sort of a mixed population, so I have some kids who are from better off families, and then um, some kids who are, are from you know in sort of some rough circumstances. Um, and then, but it's a nice balance. Uh, I really like my class this year. A lot of a lot of great personalities, a lot of great kids. Um, I'm coaching and uh, really enjoying that. Um, and doing that thing. Uh, and then in terms of my own running, I'm 39. I'll be 40 in October. Um, I've had this really, really slow off and on comeback from my last surgery, which was um, only two years ago in April. But my fitness right now is decent. Um, if I had to get, I signed up to run a track 5K next weekend. Um, and uh, I'm figuring I'm over under on 15 flat for that. Now, I have some home repairs, instruction stuff to do this week. Uh, so I have to come through this week without, like, throwing my back out. <laughs> you know, actually start that. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. We're, we're calling that one a, a, a baby. Um, but uh, my, my goal at this point is... Uh, I'm sort of training on the, the low end, I'm increasing things extraordinarily slowly. Um, and I just basically want to be in at least some 15-minute 5K as a 40-year-old. Uh, to me, that's, that's excellent running. Um, with the way things have been improving, I have a couple other countries out there uh, in terms of running some longer stuff, but... That's uh, that's me. If, if I do that, I'm a pretty pretty happy character. Nice. Um, and then you mentioned the coaching. Um, if you know someone was interested to reach out to you, um, um, how how can they get in contact with you? Oh, um, well, anybody's always welcome to send me an email. My email's uh, nateruns at hotmail.com. But uh, I do the coaching through a website, Lowell Running. Um, we got a bunch of coaches there. Um, the website's owner's kid I used to train with, uh, who ran at the same college I did do Matt's um, and he's an Olivia for, uh, kid grade. He's got dual citizenship. Um, so he went to high school and stuff here in the U.S., but he was born in, um, kid grade and, uh, ran for the Olympic team. Um, and he was at, oh, I'm going to get this wrong, 217, 218, <laughs> marathon or something around there. 
Um, and, you know, uh, really, really great kids. So we got a bunch of good coaches, but if, if you wanted to, you can go on there and sign up, um, figure out which, you know, type of plan is going to work for you and we can kind of figure things out from there. But, um, just don't do it. Just don't sign up in May. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice day. Um, well, yeah, I might leave it there because I'm so appreciative of the amount of time you spent with me and, um, I think there's um, a lot of great, great um, advice and um, uh, pearls of wisdom and um, from your long career. Um, so, yeah, thanks so much for, um, you know, spending the time to chat to me on the podcast today. No, thank you. It was fun. Yeah. Thanks, Nate. Thanks so much. Absolutely. Cheers. All right, bye.